you know what time it is. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop in the Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's so that you still know my life too. That's okay. It means something. It means something. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only... Protonic reversal. And welcome to it. Yeah! Protonic reversal. That's right. Say it again for the people in the cheap seats. This is another special stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal. And there's a lot of these coming up. People have been reacting well to it. I guess there's something to be said for a captive audience. I don't know. Going to have an amazing guest today, uh, Mr. Andy Connors of A Minor Forest, Aquarius Records, uh, the band P. So many excellent bands and ventures. Uh, just a fascinating dude. Like, seriously, one of my favorite people. Really looking forward to that. That's that's going to be that's going to be a good time. Uh, for folks that have jumped on the Proton Commercial Patreon, uh, thank you very much. We have a backlog of the episodes up currently, and that's going to continue to be the case. But don't worry, they will always be released to the live feed in time. The Patreon, patreon.com slash protonic reversal, all one word. You can get everything a lot quicker. So that's that, That's the mindset. If, you, if you're someone that wants to hear an episode immediately, like episode 150 with Steve Albini, or episode 151, Tim Yet, you know, then what can I say? It's a dollar a month. $12 a year. It's about the price of a record. And then at the $5 level, there's going to start being uh, some bonus content, mini episodes, etc., etc. I know it's changed from how we'd have done it before, but no ads, no sponsors ever. So uh, your help with this helps make the show grow, and we appreciate that. And that's it for the PSA. Okay, so we're going to be talking to Andy shortly. Let's Listen to a song first.
here we are with none other than Mr. Andy Connors. Andy, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. So, yeah, I, I was just playing uh, one of my favorite A Minor Forest jams while noticing that th- there's not that many short ones. So, sorry about that. You had to, <laughs> you had to, sit, you had to sit, sit on hold for a little bit while we, uh, while we played that out. But uh, Wait, which one did you play? But the pants stay on. Ah, okay. Uh, I guess uh, the good old days, goofy, goofy song titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that's something that I didn't realize how much of a unique thing it was for me to be able to have seen you guys so many times. Being a Bay Area person, that I have friends that were a minor Forest fans that like either never got to see you play or only got to see you play uh, during the reunion. And I saw you guys play with a lot yeah. of bands, and it was it was always great and always. The drums being set up backwards blew my mind first time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, like there were things that you guys did that, like it was, it was it was with quiet authority and kind of your own inbuilt universe, and that included the, uh, you know, the the clever song title era. Yeah. So, so when, and it's such a compelling cast of characters that uh, you guys were. So can you can you just let the listeners know how how did Amy Forest even come to pass? Like where did how did you come together? It's it's actually fairly unlikely. Eric, the guitar player Eric and I knew each other in San Diego, but we weren't really we weren't really friends. We certainly weren't like close friends. He's a bit younger than me, and then I moved to San Francisco, and then years later we somehow reconnected, and there's all these apocryphal tales. The one I choose to believe is that he was he was in a hot tub. He was in a hot tub with our bass player John's girlfriend. And was kind of like making the moves on her, and she was like, "Oh, my boyfriend plays bass. He should be in your band." And that's how that happened. That, um, that's an excellent story, worthy of uh, you know the, the the metal years of uh, decline of the Western civilization, or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm fairly sure it's it on some some of it's true, but, uh, but yeah. So we just sort of, um, and it's weird, you know, when we when we started, we were really like, I think like all bands, I don't think we were super original. We were like. I think we're trying to steal evenly from Slint, Codeine, and Bitch Magnet. Right. And then when we started out, the very first, we started out, we had one song and it was like a 45 minute song and it was just two notes. And I feel like we were like also trying to do this avant-garde thing where we were like, we used to play Morty's before it became the Cocodry. And we would just go and we would just play this one song and play these two notes for like 40 minutes. And I think even we got bored of doing that and we were like, Oh, we should probably like write real songs, but we didn't want to lose that part of it. That's why there's, there'll be like a pop it. And then there'll be a thing that repeats like 74 times or something, you know, just cause we're like, right. we really like that part of it. Well, yeah. Cause, um, cause even at yeah. your, at your most conventional, you had the song structure. It, it, there was adventure in the song structure, even when it was, uh, you know, the, the less, I don't want to say out there necessarily, but it, it seemed like you guys wanted to keep that uh, kind of baked in as like the, the thing with the band. Right. Oh, for sure. And that's actually kind of cursed me. Like when I joined, when I joined P I think they were a little bit more poppy and I was like, Oh, we should do this in five and this in seven and have this pause 40 times. And every song should be 45 <laughs> seconds. And like, you know, like, yeah. How did that go over? Like it's, it's weird to have, Dumb, like dumb ideas that you think are awesome, and then other people are like, "Actually, that's a great idea. We should totally do that." <laughs> but with, uh, but yeah, I think there's and there's a lot of uh, 
tension in A Minor Force 2, and that's obviously why we broke up. And I think that's true of most interesting bands where there's like a lot of uh, there's a lot of compositional uh, push and pull. Where like I hate recording, those guys liked recording. I wanted to wing it and improvise all the time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of frustrating to have to follow the drummer for changes, and like you know, there's a lot of. But it, it worked out, so we ended up with this very like fluid thing where we had these songs and recorded them but then live they could be 10 minutes longer than they normally were or they could we could play one part instead of the whole song and it was it was actually a really fun musical experience and it and it i think it spoiled me in a lot of ways for playing in regular bands well sure and, and coming out from the perspective of a music fan and, and me coming up from the central valley aka the kansas of california uh to the bay area <laughs> at, at a very creative period where there were a lot of interesting bands like it didn't it didn't necessarily strike me as as odd as it was uh just by nature of the fact that I, there was so much other awesome stuff going on that i was like oh yeah of course of course i've seen a minor force i've seen them play plenty they're great i saw them do like you know and i would list like three or four different sets that, that i'd seen you guys do like different things at and it didn't even occur to me that that would be weird or that would be something that anyone wouldn't have access to which I guess just shows the uh, the lack of connection in the pre-social networking world, uh, or lack of awareness yeah, of I, me as a younger man. I don't freaking know. Well, and I don't think it was weird. I don't think what I I don't think we were actively. I mean, we were trying to be difficult in a you know in a musical sense, but I don't think we thought what we were doing was weird because there were so many great weird at that era in there was in a lot. San Francisco. Yeah. There was just like so many cool weird bands doing the most fucked up stuff that people were actually liking yeah and that was like you know you know i play in common eider now with rob fisk who used to play in Deerhoof. right but before dirt before Deerhoof, he was in niter pit and so for me niter pit was this like iconic band of that era because they were just like creepy and fucked up and they were obviously really really great but they're one of those bands that sounded like they were on the verge of falling apart every second the entire time yeah (laughs) yeah i I love that well and that's something that i kind of felt was also the case with some of the uh earlier deerhoof shows especially too that they had that element of just like is this like is this gonna song gonna be able to be finished like what's what's what exactly is happening but having that level of danger to it but then also be like oh no like this is this is intentional they're they're doing this intentionally and this is actually pretty awesome and well, I'm actually not so sure it was all intentional, but <laughs> but I'll tell you a funny story. Actually, Greg, uh, Greg, who's the drummer from Deerhoof, tried what? out for A Minor Forest as a second guitar player. Really? And so we we had a few practices with two guitars, and it was it was super cool. But I don't I don't remember why we didn't do it, but because I love him, and it was really yeah. a weird sound and situation. Um, but yeah, and I think that was really the joy for me of playing. You know. I only realized this in retrospect when I listen to old live stuff. It's like, and it's all my fault. I totally take full full blame. But we played so much faster live than mm. when we than on record. Yeah. To the point where, like, when we were practicing for the reunion show, I was like, I have no idea how we played these this fast. And then, um, <laughs> you, you, know, you combine that with like the improv component, and then it becomes like it's that sort of thing that makes it really fun. Where it's like it's very I don't want to say dangerous because that makes it sound too too badass but it sounds like very like <laughs> challenging and weird and uncomfortable which is kind of fun well yeah if, if it's it's an element of adventure if not danger 
I guess maybe maybe the best way to put it. And that certainly came across in your shows. Like I, I, I know I remember like I would see you guys play and like I would find it difficult to describe you guys. And what I usually would do would be like, yeah, it's kind of like uh, a little bit like codeine or or slint and stuff, but like kind of aggressive too, but like weird but just you guys just come see him with me and then people wouldn't they'd be like wow that band's fucking awesome and i'm like i know that's why i drag you out uh but that's cool that's not a bad that's not a bad description <laughs> yeah i mean it's and it's something that people connected with i mean did you ever get like the, like the grateful dead style fan that like you know are, are ta- taping shows or anything along those lines like it wouldn't surprise me no but we did have this woman who uh it's a much longer story than this podcast has time for, but she, she You've followed heard the us show, around right? and she was, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I don't want to do, I don't want to do that to everyone, he, but this woman would follow us around and she would do that kind of, I can't radio, but she would do that kind of uh, grateful dead dancing right in front of the stage with like arm motions. And, <laughs> and I think she, uh, I don't think she and John ended up being a couple for a while too, which makes it even worse. But yeah, no, no, I think it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know that we engendered that sort of, uh, you know, the sort of fish or ween kind of <laughs> loyalty. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I like the show. I like that the shows were all different. And like when I listen to recordings, someone just sent me like this morning, sent me a uh, right. Didn't they sent it to me? A while ago. I just listened to it for the first time. This live and Chico thing. And it was back when we used to open the show with like. 10 minutes of noise with like multiple turntables and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, I forgot we even did this stuff. It? <laughs> you just cool. got like a remember. <laughs> you got, you got a reminder. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting that for such a, and weirdly it's come up a lot in recent episodes of, of the idea of like old San Francisco and the way that the Bay area used to be uh, with, with, um, you know, Billy Gold who just had on actually Greg Sonia, who's just on. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, and it seems like it's come up a lot just because <laughs> I'm starting to feel like it's it's the regional equivalent of the, well, you know, you don't know how it was back in the day, kids, you know, but you had to be there. You had to be there. Well, you man. know, it's funny is a, fr- a friend of mine is doing a box set of a box set release of like weird 90s San Francisco. Really? With like, you know, Bacamono and like we're like we've been working on this huge list of all the like dream bands to include in the compilation but I think that'll be really amazing that's awesome yeah I feel like I got to experience a lot of that a lot of it but it was sort of that was just kind of starting to shut down right as I was <laughs> getting going making records and touring and stuff like that so it was one of those things yeah, yeah. where we always had better times elsewhere than we, than we did in the Bay oh, yeah. Area because we just a little, little too late to the party I guess but I got to see well, it I mean to be honest to be honest, we were like, I think the reason we toured so much is because we would, you know, San Francisco was really fun, but for a long time we would play to like 20 people in San Francisco and then we could go to Chicago and play like a packed empty bottle. Right. And so we sort of like adopted, and I don't know if it was, it was pre thrill jockey, it was pre all that, but we just sort of found a good home there and we were friends with like Sweep the Lake Johnny and uh, 90 Day Men and all those kind of bands. And it was a, a much more sort of like, hippie kind of punk situation in San Francisco it felt like, which is odd to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually <laughs> we played enough where, you know, we came, it got to be more, it got to be better here. But for a long time we were like, let's just drive straight to Chicago and play some shows over there. You know? Well, yeah, because it's like, 
I guess you could go play Casper Wyoming on a on a Tuesday to three people, and you know that's that those can be enjoyable shows sometimes depending on who the people are, but it's not always. But you're a, you're a crazy, you're a crazy tour too. So you obviously yeah. like we always played in Rapid Rapid City, South Dakota. It was one of our favorite places in the world. Rapid City, Minot, North Dakota. Minot. Yeah. Uh, like there are all these little like po- I don't know if it's still true now, but there are these little pockets where there would just be like kids living in these huge spaces doing killer shows and you know i don't want this to go down the old like ah back in my day no and and it's no but that's fine and to answer that question it it is there there are still those pockets and the nice thing about is because there is the availability for people to check things out for free anywhere with with a couple clicks the only difference now is that they'll you'll, you'll show up and like they'll be familiar with the material which is kind of Cool. It's still sort of weird if you're used to, to being like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna be like a flying saucer attack to these kids, just so we're just so we're clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's, that's exciting. I mean, that's encouraging. My tour my touring situation is a lot different now, so it's kind of nice to know that that's still still happening. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of you know, it's been dying out in San Francisco just because of there's yeah. so, you know there's so few places to play, there's no but nobody owns houses with garages and you know it's a lot harder to like make like punk DIY stuff happen here. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of it's like space considerations. Uh, a lot of people have been priced out and moved away. I mean, myself inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see who's been able to sort of stick it out almost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like it's all, it's all the luck of the draw. Like, you know, I'm, if I got kicked out of this house, I would have to move somewhere really far out of the Bay Area, like the end of BART, and even that's not really super affordable anymore. And if I lost my job, I would totally have to probably move to another city. It's it's like it's a little bit it's interesting because I wonder if it it definitely adds this other you know, there's always been this with like punk rock and metal and stuff, there's always been this like struggling for your art, but I think it's really have like and, and it was like oh yeah i work at a bagel shop and then i quit and go on tour and i come back and then i work at a coffee shop yeah but i feel like it's like a little bit especially for people older people it's like a little bit heavier you know like right if you have kids <laughs> and you have a family you know like I, I have to for me to go on tour with common eider it's really like a challenge to go for five or six weeks that's you know so I'm, I'm not i don't have the same freedom i had where i'm like oh, i'll just quit my job and get a different one when i come back you know well you have responsibilities and and, and things change i mean what, what and, yeah, and, yeah. and that's something where yeah if, if you're freaking you know 19 or whatever it's it's a lot easier just to be like all right whatever i'll figure it yeah. out when i get back you know i'll, I'll, I'll crash on jared's couch whatever you know <laughs> whatever yeah, <exactly. laughs> but it, it is worth noting that you are like i mean and, and in, I guess in lieu of you know tour diaries and tour journals, we have Instagram now. But you know, I see I see the posts and I, I see you out and about <laughs> in Europe, and I, I love it. It's great, man. I I love seeing it. Uh, so talk. No, I really. I mean, I'm lucky. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that's let's let's talk about uh, t- like touring in 2020 with a uh, common Eider versus uh, you know what you your experiences, you know, with the uh, the. <laughs> the gravel eating tours of uh, a minor forest yeah. early on. No, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm really lucky. I mean, I'm really lucky now because I have a job still and I can work from home during the quarantine. Right. Um, 
but I'm also lucky to have a job like a music job where I think there's some consideration where they're like, Oh, we, we want to hire people who know shit about music. We're probably going to have to hire musicians. And if we hire musicians, they're probably going to want to go on tour. So I do appreciate that that exists. I'm still limited by like, you know, time off and vacation hours and whatnot. But, you know, me and Rob, the other person in common Eider, we've done a pretty good job of sort of, we were doing like one really long tour every year. Right. And we we generally do Europe simply because it's, on the one hand, it's kind of more fun to explore because, you know, not that it's not to be like blah, 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 but I, you know, I've I've done us tours like 50 times, but there's all these places I haven't been. And I think I'm 50 now. So I'm like, Oh, these are, you know, my chances to explore these new places. And so like every time we go to Europe, we, you know, we try to go like last time we went to Transylvania and we went to Russia and we went to Iceland and we tried like every time we go, we try to go someplace new that we've never been and I think for that band, you know, we play like creepy, droney, rumbly, <laughs> two old guys sitting in the dark on the floor with candles kind of music. Yeah. So yeah. People, <laughs> if people that's not a genre, it really ought to be. <laughs> yeah, it is now. It is now, baby. Uh, but yeah, I think that sort of thing, uh, people dig big, dig a little more in Europe. And a lot of the stuff we do, we try to play like weird, you know, I get made fun of this a lot at work, but like. We also tr- we try to play in caves and bunkers and forests think, and dude, I think that's you know. awesome. That's that sounds fantastic by me. But then again, it's for me touring is almost like still adventure based. So I, I think that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. It's like let's play someplace interesting and cool and uh, you know someplace we'll, we'll come away with a story one way or the other. And uh, <laughs> well, and also this this you know this band is I've never been in a band that was quiet, yeah. and so. I, I remember touring with uh, a minor forest toured with low and oh, we would yeah. play, we would play and the half the show, they would be shushing the audience. And I was like, this sucks. They must be so annoyed. And then, you know, we would try, we would get these killer shows in Europe and we'd get there and we'd realize that it's like in a bar, in a restaurant and we would play and there would just be like glasses tinkling and people talking and people laughing. And it was just like, it was un, it was impossible to actually try to like, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do stuff. that's like really kind of heavy and a little bit like spiritual and has intention and stuff. And it's really hard when it, so that's why we like, we sort of push, well, like we'll play once in a while with a cool band in the right place, but really we're like, Oh yeah, we'd love to play this like world war two bunker where it has like crazy natural reverb or this underground wine cellar or this cabin in the mountains, you know, it's harder to make money that way, but it's a little bit more, uh, satisfying like emotionally well sure yeah especially with health with the volume thing if you're if you're if you're fighting yeah, with yeah. ambient bar noise i mean that's it's gonna be a little bit dispiriting not to mention fight any mood you're trying to create i'll tell you this uh this horrible story that um because it seems like you want to hear horrible stories but uh <laughs> the listeners want to hear them andy <laughs> I, I i don't i only want to hear lovely stories but yeah the listeners. we got to we were we got this show we got to play uh at this festival in germany called doom over leipzig so all these huge metal bands and this and that's a weird thing too with that band we get like like we're dark but we always end up playing metal shows which i don't think is always appropriate but we got to play this huge festival and it was cool and they were like oh you'll be the you'll play the closing the closing ritual and we're like oh that sounds cool and then the last band playing was wolves in the throne room who we know from 
here and they were that we were talking and they're like oh we finished with this big drone and we're like oh that's perfect play your drone and then we'll come on stage and set up and then we'll start our drone and then we'll it, they'll be seamless because we were worried that we were worried that they would finish and it'd be midnight and everyone would leave yeah but yeah happened, exactly <laughs> but what happened was the drone the drone happened we got on stage to play and it was one of those things where i think they were just waiting for the encore or something Mm-hmm. So like it never registered that a new band had started playing, oh, and then like <laughs> half like hundreds of people like went to the um, bar and the merch table and were like, you know, post show like, whoa, what's up, ah, yelling and smashing bottles and stuff, and we were like up there trying to be like super meditative and do your art, awful. yeah. <laughs> it's like our worst show ever. Oh, that's a bummer, man. And I went really quickly from being like, oh, my God, we're playing in this awesome festival to like, oh, God, let's never do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's the problem with attempting to do anything that has any level of like ambiance to it or, uh, you know, requires that type of engagement is that it doesn't take too much to <laughs> break break the mood, I guess, is the, best, the way yeah. I'm trying to say yeah. And it's it's fascinating too, and I'm 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 now just act- actively bringing it up. But the idea that it's come up a bunch in recent episodes of, of the like the sun thing, where it's almost or sleep too, where where it's almost like an experience to like go to that show and like the and the volume is like part of the experience. And I think For sure, yeah. like I, not a thing I ever expected to be trendy, really, and not tr- trendy is the wrong word. I should should back that off but not anything i expected like to catch on necessarily but i get it that that's not something that you can do by just throwing something on headphones or you know even if you have a nice stereo unless you've got the speakers from like the beginning of back to the future it's not gonna work (laughs) so but then by the same token there almost seems to be a lot of appetite for uh, the things like what what Common Rider does, where where it's like you're you're building a mood. It almost sounds like it could be like a soundtrack or something, like it's contemplative, but it has to be the right venue. It has to be the right crowd. It has to be the right audience. And uh, I mean, do you find that for the most part, though, people are are receptive to it and get it? Mm, I don't know if I'd say <laughs> most people, but. <laughs> I think we've done it enough and for long enough that people who come kind of know what, what to expect. We had, I'll tell you another, uh, no, it's not a good story, but we played, uh, when we were in Russia, actually we played at this, um, we were playing this festival and I was looking at the lineup and it was no one I'd ever heard of. And then it, <laughs> and then it was re- revealed to me that it was like a te- like a hard techno festival and that we weren't actually playing it three in the morning three in the afternoon we were playing at three in the morning mm. so and i was like ready for it and we, we we got there and it was like it was huge it was this old military installation in in moscow and there was like line of people around the block it was cool and then we got downstairs and we played in this weird basement dungeon thing which seems right up our alley but it was like <laughs> you could hear the other djs through the wall so it's just like like in your oh, practice space just oh like, no and then, uh, and it was just like, I was like, this is the biggest nightmare. And then the guy before us was just this like wasted DJ playing techno. And I was like, Oh God. And then we, it was time to play. And we sat down and we got all set up and we lit candles. And then like, somehow it was totally amazing. Like people there yeah. were like, 
were like really open to this new experience and all these like like weird kind of like goth like hot sexy goth ravers came up to us afterwards and they were like that was beautiful and so I, i've been trying to be more like like usually i'm the negative one and rob's the positive one so i've been trying to be a little bit more open and be like we're, we're you know it's not like a rock band and it makes it really different for people to be exposed to so i i I think a lot of people won't get it and won't like it, but I like to think that some people just haven't heard anything like it before and they'll potentially be interested in it. And I think that's, for me, that's a healthier way to approach it. I think than being like, Oh, this is, this is, we're doomed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Which I is think... my natural response. So. Right. Right. Your, your, your default response is the we're doomed response. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, it. it's always, and you certainly have never shied away from in all your bands, you know, kind of following your own compass, uh, even though they've they've not necessarily been all like the one genre. So, uh, you know, you you briefly mentioned P, which of course is the the band P P E E, not the letter P, which is a different band. And uh, that yeah, was, well, that's that was a struggle being in a band called P. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but those. I mean, it, like a band where you were like taking the music extremely seriously and trying to write like complicated, challenging music, then you're sort of uh, sabotaging yourself by having this terrible, stupid name. But it was it existed before I joined, so I I don't take credit at all for that. You you weren't to blame uh, for. It. I mean, it was easy to remember. That's for sure. It you know. I added the periods. That was my idea. I don't know why why that <laughs> helped or didn't help. But we well, actually, you know, at some point. We did change the name and it, we changed it or for like never publicly, but for a very brief time, it was called, and I'm good at bad band names, A Minor Forest, obviously. So it was called the Miracle Research Center staff. <laughs> and there's a single, there's a single that says that on it, but then everyone uh, whisked out and we went back to being called P. So yeah, S- sentence long band names usually are Dude, not, that's they're not winners. They're the best. I, I, hey, you man. know the name of my new band, right? What's uh, what's the name of your? Oh yeah, it's it's long as hell. I'm sorry. <laughs> my heart started flame. I know when we went in there, I was Mark and I were talking about band names, and we both agreed that like bands like uh, I love you, but I've chosen darkness. Yeah. Uh, you know, Godspeed You Black Emperor. Like those were the kind of like the super emo names. That was kind of what we wanted to go for. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm into the I'm into the word names. I mean, there, there's definitely a statement of intent. I mean, you're also you will know aspire by the trail of death. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're also talking to the guy whose band is Kona Neutron and the Secret Friends, which nobody ever yeah, wants exactly. to spell out. And I've literally had arguments with people that are writing the marquee about what is or is not the band name. He's like, yeah. Well, it says here it's the Special Friends, and that's what it is. I'm like, I've got on good authority that it's not actually, but okay. <laughs> Uh, but there's also, well, didn't, and again, this is, this is kind of reaching back into the way, in the way back machine. You played Lance Hahn for a bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, when I, I mean, you, so when Aquarius was still around, um, lost weekend video was across the street, across the street, which uh, was run by Adam Faller from, uh, jawbreaker. And, uh, Lance would just kind of sit in Lost Weekend all day because he didn't work or anything. He he occasionally worked at a, a what was the record store on uh, Epicenter, uh, 
Oh, oh Jesus. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and he would just sit in the we- in the video store, and every time I would go in there, I would talk to him, blah, blah, blah. And then he w- then when he got tired of hanging out there, he'd just come in Aquarius and pull up a stool and just sit at the counter and sit there all day. And then just <laughs> one day he was like, for whatever reason, their drummer couldn't go. And he was like, hey, do you want to go? They were going to Europe, and they were going to play the Reading Festival. And he was like, hey, do you want to go? play some shows in Europe and I was young and didn't care. And I was like, yes, I do. So I learned like uh, 40, 40 J church songs in like three days or four days. And then went to Europe and it was fun. And then we, we got along really well. I don't think he, like everybody loves Lance and he's super awesome, but I think he's a little bit tough to be in a band with. Um, and I was like, and I think maybe I'm a little tough to be in a band with. And so I think it worked out really well. Cause like, he didn't like dealing with any business stuff. So I was willing to do that. And then I didn't like being told what to play on the drums. And he was used to telling drummers what to play. Mm. And for some reason, I, I think he liked that. Um, but we had a really good time. We did. I think we went to Japan three or four times. We went to Europe three or four times. We did the U.S. several times. I think within like four or five years, we did a bunch of touring and we did one tour of the U.S. with uh, where I played both NJ Church and P, and we toured together in a minivan, which was really fun. Oh wow! And that's actually a pretty interesting <laughs> double bill, d- double bill tour. That's a very that's a very old San Francisco double bill. <laughs> and that that tour actually culminated at Bottom of the Hill, where uh, A Minor Forest, P, and J Church all played the same night. Oh yeah, I think it was at that show. Was, actually, yeah, yeah, at the flu. I had the flu and I had to play three times. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> I was going to say double duty is hard enough, but triple duty and then while ill at the same time is a. Uh, but yeah, I was fun. really, I was fucking heartbroken about Lance, man. I love that guy so, so much. And yeah. he was such, such, such a cool guy. And he was such a positive influence on like every scene that he ever touched. And it was just sad. But he was also, he was like the total, he was like the unhealthiest dude I ever. And I'm unhealthy for sure, but he like put me to shame with like what he ate and how he treated his body and stuff. So, well, I remember. It's, it's not yeah, yeah, definitely had a uh, <laughs> he had his own way of operating. Is the I guess the way the way to put it. Um, I, I, rem- I remember just we were on tour somewhere, and he his, he was having kidney failure, which I think is why he died. And then we went somewhere, and he was eating like this huge plate of eggs, and we we're like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure the doctor said no eggs. He's like, no, no, the doctor said to eat eggs. And I'm like, <laughs> dude. And then, he'd, you know, and then he'd forget his medication and we'd have to have it like FedExed to Europe. And it was like, it was so dumb. But anyway, cool guy. What were you about to say? I'm sorry, uh, I was I just going to say my, my favorite Lance Hound story. This is uh, way back when. Is a, a replicator. I asked him if if he wanted to play a show. J Church and Replicator play a show because again, that's the kind of thing that like made sense back in the day. It wasn't so strictly genre defined. It was like, oh, I like them. They like us. Cool. Let's play a show together. Right on. And uh, <laughs> he couldn't do it. He's like, hey, we can't we can't do that show. But do you want to do a seven inch? <laughs> want to do a split? <laughs> awesome. Which, in retrospect, we probably should have done, but I was so taken aback that that would be, like, the second ask instead of being like, oh, let's set up something in April or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just like, oh, huh, I did, I, okay, well, we don't have anything recorded right now. But then I was like, oh, yeah, but J-Church has, like, a million, million and a half releases. So it's like, that That kind of yeah. makes sense. But that's my perfect Lance on story is that they couldn't play the show, but, yeah, you want to do a split seven-inch instead? <laughs> I'll tell you, I have another... <laughs> 
I have another Morty story actually. Well, so Lance was the Lance was the first person I ever knew to have a cell phone. Like way, way, way early on, way before anyone else had cell phones. Mm-hmm. And we all like it was so not punk and we were all so shitty to him and we like teased him like relentlessly about being a sellout, like yuppie. And then uh I was not in J Church at the time, but they were playing at uh Morty's or the Coquetry, whatever it was at that point. And Kelly from P and I were like, he was on stage and I was like, I bet he has his phone on him and I bet the ringer's on. <laughs> Let's like embarrass the shit out of him. And we went to the payphone. You could see the stage from the payphone on the stairs. And we waited until like the song was about over. And then I called him on his cell phone and it rang. And then everyone started boo- booing and like throwing stuff at him. It was so great. Oh man, that's hilarious. Oh, Lance. I mean, who would, have, who would have thought we'd be where we are now? But at the time, I was like, oh, such a sick burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, different times, different times. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so you, we, we kind of, you know, in, in everyone's mind's eye, they're envisioning Lance Hahn, you know, uh, chewing up the, the the bar at AQ. But I, I want to talk a little bit about Aquarius because Aquarius, especially in uh, these times in 2020 and – how everything has changed such a wild outlier and shining star in the world of like, not just record stores, but like any kind of anything with an identity that wasn't necessarily an, I don't give a fuck identity, but for sure how do we love the things that we love and we're not ashamed about that. And we're not into nonsense. And it's so interesting that it was such a fixture for so long and a big part of like anyone who played musics in the Bay area's life. But obviously times change. I mean, that, that was a, that was a pretty big investment of time. Can you tell us how uh, Aquarius kind of came to be and how you became, you know, became involved and just the whole, the whole story without, you know, necessarily summarizing the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I when I was like young and a young punk rocker, and I just got into San Francisco, <clears throat> I worked at Holy Bagel in Noe Valley because um, that's the kind of job that was good to have for for a touring musician because you could just you could leave for a month and still have a job when you came back. And back then, Aquarius was across the street from Holy Bagel, so I would just like I would work the morning shift and then I would go across the street and I would hang out with Wendy or whoever was there. I would just listen to music and be I would basically be Lance. <laughs> I would be the Lance Hahn of that situation. Right, yeah. Exactly. And I would just sit there constantly. And eventually, Wendy was like, Wendy was like, why don't you just work here? Because you're here all the time. So I got a job. And they were very cool about, uh, there were still a lot of musicians happening employee wise. So I, I would spend like maybe six months out of each year on tour. Like A Minor Force did an enormous amount of touring. And so I was gone a lot. And then one time I was gone on tour. And while I was gone, Wendy hired Alan. And then I came back and Alan was my boss, which was very upsetting to me. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we were getting kind of windy. I think Wendy was kind of um, burnt out on having a record store. You know, she went on to work at Apple for a long time, but yeah. uh, she was kind of burnt out and she wanted to sell the store. And Alan and I had already talked about leaving. We were going to quit and start our own store from scratch. But then, so much of Aquarius's identity at that point was kind of wrapped up in me and Alan's personalities too. 
that it seemed kind of to make more sense to not start from scratch. So we took, a, I can't remember. I'm really bad with years, but we, I think it was 2002 or something. I don't know. We, we took over the store moved right. to mission yeah. and then we took over and then for a few years, it was really awesome. Like it was booming. It was good. And then, you know, I think this is true of a lot of record stores. I didn't start a record store or buy Aquarius because I wanted to own a business. I just like music mm-hmm. and that's not a great way to run a business. And, you know, the list, you know, we sent out the list every couple weeks that was like yep. 50 to a hundred reviews that were like a million words long and super detailed. It was, so, <laughs> it was, I mean, I love it and I'm glad it happened, but it was so labor intensive and like for years, Alan and I would spend, we would be at work Thursday until like two in the morning and then we would come in the next day, Friday night, same thing. It was just, it was a nightmare and it was, I mean, it was a nightmare in context. Like it was really fun, but it was so much work. And then, then just the, the world just kind of shifted a little bit. Like, you know, there was the, the crisis in what, 2008 or whatever. Yeah. And then, um, I think the world has changed with the internet with Bandcamp, with, um, you know, I see a lot of record stores that still are still around and I, you know, I know some, I know some secrets about some of them about how they stay afloat. And then I think it's just a different world that didn't make sense for the kind of story where like, we didn't like, you know, we just, we begrudgingly had that, had expensive records on the wall just because if we didn't, people would buy them and sell them on eBay. But like, I never wanted that. I never wanted to sell things at collector prices. I just, I liked it. I liked it being punk and accessible DIY. And I liked that you could buy black metal and you could buy weird electronic music. And I liked their in stores. And I was really like, it like, it makes me so happy that whatever weird, weird magic existed, like created the community that you were a part of, that all these people were a part of that just like people who are interested in reading about fucking ridiculous weird music and oh yeah exploring way way outside their comfort zone like i I don't know it's funny you know there's so there's a documentary coming out i think this year about aquarius and uh justin foley who you had on your show from the austerity um, program friend of the show yep he's the only one in the documentary who talks shit because he's like he's like yeah andy reviewed something and it sounded really cool and then i bought it and i hated it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then he's like <laughs> but he was like i still appreciate the experience of like like i loved reading about it and it made me want to hear it and i we didn't connect on this one but like we connected on other things and i just was really i was really grateful for how much like how much goodwill and how much love could could center around what is at the end of the day is just a store but you know for me it was never just a store it was like a place to hang out and a place for musicians to come and you know, having, you know, I'm sure you're the same as me, like on tour, you get to a new city and you want to go know where to eat and where the record store is. Yep. And like, <laughs> I think that was like, you know, and we had people who would show up at Aquarius with a suitcase and I'm like, oh, they're like, we came straight here from the airport. And I'd be like, why? Why didn't you go to your hotel first? And they're like, I just were so excited to see Aquarius. And yeah. I'm like, oh, God thanks i hope it's you know and they're like it's so small and i'm like i know <laughs> well yeah and so that's what i was that's what i was gonna get at is that and and people would have it built up in their mind as to what it's gonna be and think you know oh my oh god it's got to be this crazy emporium every of everything weird and and it was 
but small space, like not a big, incredible the amount of stuff you were able to fit into that store, frankly, uh, especially in retrospect. Well, I also think the, I think the list, the list gave people an exaggerated idea. Like after 15 years of, with like, you know, whatever, 50 or 60,000 reviews. Yeah. I think maybe there's this presumption that all 50 or 60,000 of those records are in the store, <laughs> right. which was not, not the case, you know? But I mean, um, I would read the I would read the newsletter, you know, every time it came out, and like it was something that, you know, maybe like one out of thirty times I would actually like be able to swing by the store, and you know, I wasn't exactly high Rollins, I wasn't buying everything, but I always appreciated, you know, the level of effort that you would put into stuff, and I would even like read about things that like I don't really care about that, but I want to see what they say about it, and I think that's something yeah. that, well, I guess, I guess it's more commonplace now because of social media. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But, and now that and I'll tell you what, platformed. Like, I like what you just said. Cause I took, I took a cue from, I don't know if you ever read Mojo magazine. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's a British magazine. Every time I see it, I, the cover is something super boring. Like, Oh, it's the Beatles. Oh, it's Aretha Franklin. Oh, it's the who. <laughs> right. And I'm like, 100% not interested. And then I read the article and I'm like, Holy shit, this is super fascinating. Yeah. And I kind of was like, there's a way to write about music that it's fun to read about it, even if you ultimately don't want to hear it or care about it. And that, that was a really, that was an inspiration for me too. Just like, like it was a lot passion and, you know, there's a lot of like, Oh my God, you just, this is the best record. You know, people used to give me shit all the time where they're like, wait, how can this be the best record of all time? The one you just told me yesterday was the best record of all time. Like, <laughs> right. right. How can now, they both be true? Yeah. <laughs> for me right now, it's the best record of all time. It's the best record but, of know, all think, time I today. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's room for be- many best records. What are you talking about? But I think that, I think you make a real good point where like, I think we got to the point where we weren't so unique. Like when the list started, we were yeah. really, really unique. There's I, nothing like I it. I don't nothing. think like like I maybe don't think we were really, zine, but you know like not not as place yeah, that is a know, store like force exposure and stuff like yeah, that but yeah. i don't think we i don't think we adjusted well we were sort of set in our ways and i also think people people started like reading our reviews and buying records other places which i think is probably a problem for a lot of places yeah um, so like small bookstores where people come in and they write write all the titles down that look cool and they go home and buy them on amazon like i think that was a big part of what happened to us, you know? Yeah. And, and at, by the end, you know, like we just weren't making enough money and we had been doing it for like, I was there for 22 years, which is a long, you know, it's a long time, almost half my life. And then for the last two years I was there, it's funny. So I, you know, I work at Pandora now when I got the job at Pandora, we were kind of afraid to tell people that I worked at Pandora because it was still like streaming services were like the enemy of like the record store. And so we kind of kept it a secret. And for a couple of years I worked seven days a week and I worked five days at Pandora and then two days at Aquarius. And then I, we weren't paying ourselves at Aquarius and it just got to be sort of too much. And then, you know, we sold it to, um, to stranded and they took over and we were it's like, super grateful we're like oh at least it's not a cafe or a shoe store at least it's like still a record store and that's that's awesome to me um some of some of the stuff that i was expecting didn't turn out the way i had hoped but you know it's still a record store and i love the i love that (laughs) yeah it didn't turn into i don't know like an, an apple store 
or something. I'm trying to think of like something truly odious. Like it, it wasn't like a dot com, like thing. You know, it it, it has. Yeah, but I think I think I think hmm. Stranded ended up being like a different experience. Which a different I get. Story, yeah. You know, yeah. they're they're sort of. We got accused a lot of being like. I mean, I think all weird record stores get accused of being snobby, but I think, I think Stranded is a lot more boutiquey. Yeah. Um, you know, they got they got a bunch of grief early on because you know they don't put up flyers and there was like there was a lot of like drama in the scene. Um, but you know, they run a fucking amazing punk reissue label. They like, you know, a bunch of Aqu- you know Aquarius. Like when part of the deal when they took over was that they kept the Aquarius uh, some of the Aquarius employees. So like grateful for that. Um, they kind of like saved saved our bacon. So you know, eternally grateful to them and. Cool store, cool label. Record yeah. store drama in the scene. It's like be, it's uh... about as good a. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say it's as good an ending I think we could have hoped for. You know, other than like some miracle investor giving us a million dollars, I think it like turned out. You know, and if if I'm honest, I was ready for something new too. You know, like right. the fact that I was at Aquarius until I was forty five years old, like that's huge. Like. Like, I, it was a real job, but I could joke that, like, I didn't have a real job until I was 45, you know? Um, but I was ready, you know, I was ready. I have other stuff in, uh, you know, I'm glad that I'm still working in the music business, but I have other, like, like, I have a bunch of animal stuff that I'd really like to transition into working on. And, you know, and I think Alan was the same way, too. He has, a, you know, he has a kid and a family, so it was even more urgent for him to, like, be actually getting paid a job so <laughs> what a wild concept <laughs> the sad the sad truth yeah but you know that the movie's going to come out and that's really exciting and al and i are working on a book like a coffee table book that will hopefully have like 10 or 15 or twenty thousand reviews in it and a bunch of cool pictures and maybe even like a record to go with it yeah so that's the uh, be, it, it came it too. came from aquarius records is the name of the documentary i mean god that's that's been that's been kind of going for a while yeah, I think it's supposed to come out this fall. It's definitely done, but he, he you know, he followed us around he, for like six years. He, he came on, he went on tour with Common Eider, uh, and we were actually in Europe. I forgot where, but Ken, the maker of the movie, Ken, was in the car with us when we actually sold the store, and we had to, like, find a gas station, and I had to, like, use a payphone and talk to Alan to figure out, like, the actual selling of the store, which was oh man, good for Ken, like stressful for me because it was like, <laughs> yeah. And what's funny? Here's the horrible thing: is like very early on when he started filming the movie, and I think he has footage of this. I was like, you know, the only like super good like dramatic ending for this movie is for the store to close, and he was like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it totally jinxed us. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, all the amount of footage I have to go through. I mean, I know I've, I filmed something for it. I I know. I have no expectation it'll end up anywhere other than the cutting room floor, but like, it's something where it's like, wow, you're just, you're just getting anyone, huh? <laughs> oh, I mean, I was honored to be asked. Don't get me, don't get me wrong, but I felt the same way about being on your podcast where I'm like, Oh, you must have run out of people that your podcast. <laughs> no way, man. Like it's, 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 it's don't like show it. Sell yourself short. Uh, like what three people canceled? <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll always say if that happens because i think it's funny and it's a way to sort of like i don't know not not 
talk trash, but sort of just let it be known that I hate it when people cancel on me. <laughs> no, man, I, this is this is something I no, wanted to you, do. You know, to be honest, you were always you have always been like like you were the one who every year would would bug me to try to get my stupid band to play the barbecue thing. Oh my god, BRF, yeah, I yeah. Couldn't get could not get one member of this band to commit. So me <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's it's and uh I try every year i swear to god it wasn't for, wasn't for lack of trying and uh you know like whatever maybe maybe, maybe no, prf absolutely. barbecue 2030 yeah. maybe it'll it'll happen who knows <laughs> yeah well so uh, i'll tell you i have another story if not on the offer on the air <laughs> okay yeah yeah yeah. that's fine that's keep keep it uh <laughs> keep it anything that you wouldn't mind your grandma yeah, listening to you know me. <laughs> uh so we yeah so uh oh go ahead sorry no i was just gonna ramble i was gonna say your 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 audio connection suddenly kind of went to hell i don't know if it's that's on me or that's on your side but it's it's still doable is it still or is it- it's kind of sounded like a little scratchy but i can i can deal oh actually you know what i could just switch Wait, over to Bluetooth. And it'll be back. <laughs> no, I. So I've lost my entire computer twice, mm, and so terrible. Someone finally, someone finally convinced me to do one of those like cloud backups, mm-hmm. and it's it's been backing up for four months. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's a million a million files, and it's been backing up for four months, and it's currently. Got twenty three thousand files to go, but every time I want to do anything, watch TV, anything, I have to turn it off, and it just turned back on. So sorry. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but eventually, all my shit's going to be backed up, and it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be wonderful when that happens. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I, and I, I forgot the the interjection I was I was going to do earlier was uh, was I was going to say record store drama and the local scene was going to be, would be a totally a, uh, a minor four song title, but, <laughs> like, but do you remember that when like, I do. Yeah. Some punk band came into stranded and wouldn't put up the flyer. And then they started this like campaign to like boycott stranded. Yeah. It, it definitely, kind of, kind it, of amazing. It, it had the feel of, uh, you know, some prestige t- TV, episode of, of like wow this is this is the thing huh this is the mundane drama for the for the week <laughs> okay yeah. um yeah and so getting back to to a minor forest uh on that the double record the <clears throat> were they in some sort of fight i believe is the name of it right yeah that's a brilliant brilliant fucking title by the way because uh you know to just in in terms of any band with any degree of mystery that isn't playing anymore, like that's like you know like a, a standard standard issue question to be asked, and uh, I always thought that was a wonderful title. If you want, I'll tell you the actual the actual reason behind that title. Lay it on me. Okay, so I mean, part of it was because uh, when we came up with that title, Eric was actually like didn't want to use that title because he's like everyone's going to think that we fight all the time. And I was like, but we do fight all the time. So that's fine. (laughs) But so, um, 
so there's that level. But then on the other level, there's a um, the song we used to always play last, like our big long song with like the weirdo drum solo thing at the end and all the feedback. That's called "So Jesus Was at the Last Supper," and yeah. so that's it's from a joke which you've probably heard, but I'll tell it just because it makes the story better. Please. Um, so I was telling I was telling Eric the joke, and I said, "Okay, so Jesus was at the Last Supper." And he's talking to his disciples, and he's like, one of you is going to betray me. And then Peter says, is it I, Lord? Am I the one who's to betray you? And he's like, no, Peter, it's not you. And then Paul says, is it I, Lord? Am I the one who's going to betray you? And he's like, it is not you, Paul. And then Judas says, is it I, Lord? Am I the one who's going to betray you? And then Jesus says, is it I, Lord? Am I the one who's going to betray you? (laughs) So that's the punchline. (laughs) So I told that joke to Eric. And then Eric just looked at me for a minute, and then he was like, wait, so were they in some sort of fight? <laughs> That's actually way better than the, than, than the expected expectation of, uh, yeah. of what that title is. That's awesome. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, Beautiful. so the fact that Eric didn't get the joke, uh, but then tied in with the fact that we were always fighting, kind of made for a good title. <laughs> hits, on a, hits on a couple different yeah. uh, different levels. So, on on that, how about no one likes an old baby? What was the inspiration with that? Oh shit! You know, a lot of a lot of the song titles were just like dumb things I I said, and then someone else in the band would say like, "Write that down." <laughs> and I think that's no one likes an old baby. I bet John would remember. I remember ones like like Bill's mom likes to fuck. I remember why we had that song title. And I remember um, performed critical straw transfer. That was uh, what the waiter at Denny said to me once. Um, <laughs> so you just have like a notebook yeah, that you like, like kept these, or like where? How did? How? Yeah. What was the record keeping situation like? I had like a notebook full of songs. I still do actually, but they're sort of not applicable because it got to the point where like like you just said, I'm like, oh, that would be a great that would be a great A minor fourth song title. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> and you know, it's funny too. This is weird. It's like, I'm really anti, I won't say anti, but I find it very difficult to reconcile humor and music. Like, yeah, no, like, I get you. Like, I don't, most bands that are funny, I don't really like. And like joke, I always, I always like sort of derogatorily refer to it as like joke rock. <laughs> and it really bothers me. But for some reason, like we had these like really stupid, like inside joke song titles that we just, thought were hilarious and uh yeah i don't know it, it's it doesn't really jive with my whole like music's not funny you know well i can say speaking personally i liked it when you guys did it and there's other bands that pulled it off and there's other bands that would just it would irritate the living hell out of me and they would just make me crazy and i, I don't even understand why necessarily but it never it, it certainly never bothered me with uh with any of the A minor forest stuff. And and I think also yeah, joke rock is tough because I enjoy like absurd concepts and execution and commitment to the bit to be sure. But oh, me too. But I feel like if there's ever a sort of any kind of like haha, check out what we're doing, you know, elbow elbow, haha, isn't this funny? Yeah. I'm usually annoyed and I usually don't think it's funny. And I think there's a difference like I almost brought up ween, but I think ween are just weird. And they're they're like obviously goofy, but I don't think they're like trying to be 
I mean, maybe they're trying to be funny, but I don't know. For some reason, I really like Ween, and then, but like you know, you know what? Always, whenever anyone recommends a band and says it's Zappa esque, I'm always like, ooh, nope, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, that's a check please moment for me too. <laughs> yeah, check which please. is weird because I think I, I think Zappa is cool and conceptually, and like I love seeing him on talk shows and I love seeing him like uh, testify. But I would rather see him talk and hang out with him than listen to his music, which is, you know. But yeah, I think also uh, San Francisco is a big, um, was a hub, I think, for like, I guess what you'd call it costume rock more than joke rock. Like, yeah, like, like pink and brown kind of era yep. where everybody was wearing like weird outfits and like in some in some bands, not pink and brown necessarily, but in some bands, I think outfit came before music. Cookie Mongoloid. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember that. But band? then there was like, uh, what was cranking cabinet, Doctor? Uh, I don't know. But then, like you know, Carolina Rainbow. There were yeah. all these like really amazing costume bands that I think are like so over the top that you just can't like, you can't even argue with it. It's just so much effort and insane like thought thought went into it that I I get blown away. I went and saw. Did you see King Diamond when King Diamond was here? No, no. <laughs> it was. It was kind of goofy, but it was so amazing. They had this like three-story, like abandoned hospital with like a dungeon and all these like broken old beds and lights. And like the lady came out in the wheelchair and this little girl. And it was like it was it was like it was like heavy metal dinner theater, but it was like the coolest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, it makes like Alice I Cooper, like classic Alice Cooper band shows. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like a jeans and t-shirt band playing on stage as far as presentation. Yeah. I remember the first time we saw the first time Immortal came to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They played at the Pound. Do you remember the Pound? Oh, I re- yes, I remember it well. <laughs> they played at the Pound and they showed up and they were not wearing corpse paint and they were just wearing jeans and t-shirts and everyone was super pissed. <laughs> that's because there was like you can't do that if that's your whole deal. You can't do that. Yeah. Come on. It was a bummer. I, I did like yeah the the Pound. I wouldn't ever say it was a great place, but they did kind of just let whatever happened i mean i remember there was one show there's one show we played there that was uh it was, it was replicator and l buzzard and oxbow and babyland and oh wow that's cool yeah it was it was a great show but i was like wow i don't think anyone else would let us do this <laughs> i'm kind of surprised that, yeah. they're, that they're letting us have this like wildly disparate group of bands and these all of their different fans and scenes all kind of jammed together uh for what is was quite a bunch of uh, disparate gear on stage, but actually a very lovely night, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that sounds amazing. I wonder if I was there. That sounds like something I would have gone to. So uh, I can't remember. That was the other thing when we, when we were uh, getting prepared to talk, I was like, Oh God, I have the worst memory of, <laughs> of anyone I know. Like, so when did this, I have no idea. When did the, uh, don't know. Don't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, like I, like I said, it's not, it's not a quiz show, man. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a conversation yeah. more than anything else. And and it, I like the fact that, well, if you just knew, especially a minor forest, if you just knew the band from, from like watching the music again, you would be like, Oh, these, these guys, these are some serious, serious motherfuckers. Like they're, you know, they'll, don't, don't look at them the wrong way. They'll, you know, like whatever. But is that really what, what you would think? Well, when, when I was when, when I first saw you, but before I knew you guys, first, oh, there's a bunch of fucking goofballs. You know, it's fine. <laughs> and you guys are totally hey, music obsessives too. That's 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 the thing that, but in your own ways. And I thought that was something that I guess I'm surprised when I find that bands aren't. Uh, and again, that's one of the things that came through 
jumping back to the Aquarius stuff of like just like the stuff that you that you loved and the stuff that you wanted people to know about. It was very much like, hey, you got to check this out. This is fucking awesome. Here's all the reasons why I think that this is awesome. And I kind of feel like that was the same ethos with a minor force that you just had like, Oh, check out this thing we made. It's completely bizarre. This is what it sounds like. And it's, you know, for folks such as myself, it worked and we're like, wow, that's, I don't know why it's doing that, yeah. but that's great. <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, I mean, I actually said to somebody the other day that I, I, I felt like being in that band was very liberating. Like there was this period where we had, a friend of ours had a studio behind bottom of the hill and she just gave us access to the studio. And a lot of the songs on that comp are from that era. Cause they had like an organ and they had all these weird rooms. So we'd be really like, I'd be like, Oh, Andy's going to play lap steel. And then I've made this little thing on the organ. And then we're going to, you know, it was like, it was really fun to just be able to do whatever you wanted and see what happened. And I thought that was really liberating and kind of like, fun to just not always be the drummer and not even in a way where i'm like oh i'm gonna write songs now but just like oh i made this cool weird little thing let's put it in a song and it was i don't know it was really it was really fun i feel like that's a really healthy place for musicians to be where they can just like throw all kinds of stuff at the wall and see what fits and sticks and you know well it just seems like there was a legitimate excitement for the act of creation and, and, and sharing things, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And that can manifest in a lot of different ways. You know, I always think about the, uh, the last, well, the, the true last steel pole bathtub record, that unlistenable record, which I think is yeah completely incredible, but you know, it's, it could be a harsh toke for someone as an entry point necessarily, but you can just tell it's like, Oh no, this, these are these guys like finding what they love about playing music and yeah. just like all rules are off. There's three cars covers on there. Why screw you. That's why, That's, <laughs> you know, why, no, why not? I think people were, I think people at work were really surprised that I was like, so, so broken up about the fountains of Wayne guy, you yeah. know, I'm like, I like, I love pop music and pop me, not, not all pop music, but they're like, I have a really like sweet tooth for pop and the pop that connects with me like really connects in a way in a different way than like noise rock or metal or whatever. Um, for some reason I really, really love that band. Like that band, the posies, uh, Sloan, like that sort of like muscly guitar power pop. I mean, really, really does. Yeah. And I think like, so as a instance with Sloan, I, I thought I didn't like Sloan for a long time. And then I was like, Oh no, I just had not heard the right stuff. And I think for me, part of it's that, on every record, even the ones I love, there's a couple songs where I'm like, Ugh, all right, enough with this. But it's like, oh my God, when that band's on, that band is on. And I'm not even talking about just like, you know, the stuff that sounds like Thin Lizzy or whatever. Like I'm talking about, you know, even some of the stuff that sounds like yeah, yeah. Chicago or something. It's still, it still slams. It works. And there's nothing. Well, wrong they there. do that thing, which is, which is hard to sustain where everybody on the band gets like, everybody in the band gets like four or five, three or four songs on each record. Like it's very democratic. So for a long time, I was like, I only like songs. I only like Jay songs. I only like, you know. But yeah. So anyway, and for some reason, I really, even as an adult, as an older adult, I really take it personally when musicians who have written, I mean, maybe everyone does, but like musicians who have written music that has moved me when when they die, it really like hits me hard. So... Well, it's because it touched you, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, it's... It doesn't it doesn't help that they're 
basically the same, almost the same age as me. That's also a little bit terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a different kind of alarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, God, it's, got, it's got real dark real quick. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's okay. let me let me dig out dig out of this hole. <laughs> uh, how did how did you going back to Amater Forest? How did you end up getting hooked up with Thrill Jockey? So we used to, I told you we used to go to Chicago all the time to play yeah. just because people were like more receptive and, uh, Bettina who, who runs Thrill Jockey, she was a bartender at the rainbow, uh, some bar there, but she, but all the bars, like she had a connection with the, uh, with the empty bottle, which was kind of like our home away from home. And we would go there and we would play and we would, um, go to her bar afterwards and Eric Eric was really the one who sort of like hassled her into submission. I felt a little bad actually. But, <laughs> Just wore but her I down. feel like she finally <laughs> Yeah, like she finally gave up. She's like, fine, I'll put out your stupid record. And then to make matters worse, we kept doing the like really fancy packaging. You know, we did that one where it had like yeah. die cut with a plastic insert. Yeah. She was like, I'm sure. I'm sure she was just like, what the fuck like, have I gotten into? But she's really nice and really supportive. I always felt like, I always felt like we were really like odd, like sort of the odd men out on Thrill Jockey. You know, it was all like Tortoise and Sea and Cake. And, you know, maybe we toured with Trans Am, which was cool. But I, I definitely felt, a, I loved being on Thrill Jockey because they put out so much music I love. But I definitely feel like a lot of the press we got and a lot of it was like, check out this crazy rock band that kind of has some metal parts and are loud. And, you know, like we were just sort of this like sore thumb for, for, for them. But it was great. I loved it. I felt really lucky because they were one of my, one of my favorite, like that whole experience was great. Cause it was like, we got to be on thrill jockey, which was one of my favorite labels. We got to record with Steve Albini and, um, with Bob, right. Brian and Bob Weston and Brian Paulson, who are like my three favorite in the world. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so that, <laughs> so that whole experience was like kind of like a dream come true, you know? Um, but yeah, and, and, you know, still, you know, when, whenever we're in Chicago, we see Bettina and she's super cool. And yeah, I love, I love Thrill. And I love the direction they've gone. Like they've really sort of done like the sub pop thing where they just sort of like, they had a sound, but then they were like, fuck it. We're going to just put out whatever the hell we want. And it's going to be really interesting and all over the map. And I think that's really, I mean, it's kind of what Aquarius was all about. So I can really appreciate the sort of like confusional curation. <laughs> well, yeah, the correlating factor is that it's good, you know, not necessarily yeah. being of a certain genre. And there's plenty of labels I like that, you know, they're a name, they're a trusted name in whatever genre that is. Don't get me wrong. But I think also if you're, trying to do something and keep it sustainable you do have to adapt as well but it's funny i think like in the old days we all i think we all bought like every sub pop record because we're like oh green river oh yeah yeah tad oh sound but then i think when they got weird people stopped doing that except i kept doing it because i was like oh they did a sloan record they did an eric's trip record they did a you know yeah yeah a fleet foxes they're like to me that was really as much as I loved grunge and all that stuff, I was like, this is somehow even more interesting and weird, you know? Well, and that's something that, you know, a minor force being a Chicago label. And this is, this has come up in the past, but I feel like as much as when you think of iconic record labels in the Bay area, you know, you have alternative tentacles, of course, 
you know, I guess look out. You, you have a good amount of records that come out of the, of the Bay Area that had like a sound, but I, I always kind of felt yeah. that there was there was a record label that was lacking that was just sort of for more like noisy, crazy stuff, but wasn't straight Spock Morg, <laughs> you know, costume rock stuff. And yeah. I, I mean, I get it. Don't get me wrong. Like, and so what happened was that all the different bands would be like all these different labels of like, you know, you know, we were in Northwest label, like, you know, this band's over on um, uh, a label that's based out of Chicago. This one's based in, you know, wherever. And so all the different bands were all, you know, proud to be from the Bay Area, but there wasn't ever that that one defining like, oh, this is the label, and you know, if you get anything on this label, it's gonna, you know, have yeah. have this sort of sound. And I, I don't actually know where I'm going with this. I just think it's more of an observation <laughs> than a question. Uh, no, it's true. And w- even when I when I started uh, Tumult, my label, I I didn't even necessarily want to be that. Like it existed at the time because. With for sold American who were banned from Chicago. Oh yeah, that's oh, why yeah. I start. That's why I started the label, but then it very quickly turned into like there was all this weird black metal happening in San Francisco that was not getting any sort of love, and so there's that. And then that band Court and Spark, who were like old hardcore guys or young hardcore guys playing like country music. Right. So for a little while, I was like, oh, there's some cool shit happening here. But then quickly, I think it became more of like an extension of Aquarius, you know, like started putting out, like I would discover a band at Aquarius, like a circle. And then I'd be like, Oh, they don't have any records out in the U S we should do that. Uh, you know, or like solar anus or Skullflower, or like, you know, like, Oh, these are bands or Harvey milk. where like, these are bands I love and I don't think enough people know about them. And I had the luxury of having Aquarius. So like I had this built in sort of, audience to expose music to and i thought that was sort of like a cool not an obligation but i felt like it was an opportunity i couldn't like not take advantage of where i'm like oh thousands and thousands of people read this list it'd be great if they knew about circle and they knew about harvey milk and they knew about solar anus right blah blah blah, you know but you're right i don't think there was a i don't think there was a distinctly like san francisco label the way there was like kill rock stars or you know like sub pop or whatever yeah yeah and again that's that's something that as, as much as this show has become really into talking about old san francisco that was a part that was sort of like missing from, from old san francisco yeah no it's true and i think but just by default it was maybe alternative tentacles right yeah maybe I mean, kind, yeah kind of you know in some ways but definitely i don't know it's just the one thing i always kind of felt was missing yeah and or what about communion? I guess communion was maybe that for a little while too, like early, early on the revolver communion, right? Or subterranean even before that. That's true. That's true. But I think during during the period we're talking about, that didn't really. Exist. There wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. Uh, you know, like Bacamono was on a label in L.A. and like yep. yeah, and like everyone yeah, was so. was all freaking over the place, and and then like yeah, it was. I don't know. I, I don't actually know if this is an interesting topic, so let's talk about something else. But <laughs> <laughs> so the last A minor four show first round was uh, what? 98, right? Something along those lines. And then yeah, um, 98, a, a great American with three mile pilot. Yeah. And it's like a 15 year gap. Is that, is that accurate? 
Yeah, 15 years. Yeah. So that's a lot. And the only reason... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it's a long time. (laughs) Uh, It is a long time. And uh, John, the bass player, John and I have have been playing together that whole time in various different projects. Yeah, like Tick Wars and... uh, uh, There's been a couple, right? Yeah, we did. The thing was, we we lacked... I'm sure this is true of a lot of bands where, and, and this is like, <laughs> we used to joke that, and this is no disrespect to Eric at all, but like, I think he did fulfill this role in our band where like, we're like, every band has to have an asshole. Like every band, <laughs> the band asshole <laughs> has to have the person who like makes shit happen and doesn't let things slide. Mm-hmm. And so we were joking for a while we actually came up with a new A minor force title called "Rotating the Asshole" because we're like, yeah, <laughs> right. Let's all take turns. Like, let's all take turns being the asshole of the band. But instead, you know, John and I would just like instead of band practice, we would go see movies, and instead of band practice, we would go eat Chinese food. <laughs> and so, like, over fifteen years, our output was like barely there. And so, um, so yeah, so uh, Bettina actually reached out to me wanting to reissue the A Minor Force records for Record Store Day. And so I just was like, hey, it would be really nice. She was always so good to us. And I don't know if people still care, but she's going to spend like a bunch of money to repress these records. It'd be cool if we could play a, sh- a show or two to like help get the word out. Yeah. And then Eric was in was into it. And then, just like just like every one off like uh, Jehu and whatever, if you're gonna put in the time to learn like ten songs, you probably want to play more than one show. So <laughs> it's nice, yeah. So I hear anyway. <laughs> yeah. And and then our reunion tour was really fun. It was really like it was basically like a high school reunion. Like every show was a bunch of people I hadn't seen for years. We had like a very we had a very funny, very specific writer. Uh, based based around being old. So, what you mean, uh, like Ben Gay? Like, what would you what do you mean being old? <laughs> no, in that uh, there was never more than two bands on a bill. Oh, and, I see. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. And we never we never played later than ten. <laughs> and a lot of that, I mean, a lot of that was because you know half the people coming were like our age and they had kids and they yeah. had jobs. And I was like, I would love for them to be able to hang out the whole night and not have to leave like after one song. Yeah. So. And it's like, Oh, it's two thirty, and, and like, you know, Oh yeah. Christ babysitter. You know, so it turned out, <laughs> yeah, it turned out fun. And then we had like, we'd finish at like 1130 and we could still go out and go to Denny's and dick around. And it felt like old tour days, but we'd be in bed by one <laughs> instead of four. So it was cool. Well, and how cool is it to be able to have the the sway to be able to do that, too? Right? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, it was, I feel really grateful that people let us <laughs> let us do it. And you know what? To be honest, it was just like it was literally just like touring in the old days. Like we like there were a bunch of people in New York, there were a bunch of people in Austin, and then we played a couple places where there were like ten people, and we played a couple <laughs> places. You know, right? Like nothing changed. It's exactly the same. Yeah. There were a couple of shows that I expected to be massive, and there was no one there. And there were a couple of surprises where I was like, "Holy shit, this is cool!" So, 
it's nice to nice to know that that that's still still the same. So yeah, yeah, def- definitely hasn't changed. So do you feel that they that the folks that that largely would come to see you would be like stuff from the old days. Did you have like, you know, people that like got into it while you were not a band and like had never seen you? Like it was kind of a mix of the bunch. I think it was a mix. We actually, there, there are two, two things that I remember. One was this, there was this girl at one of our shows. I think it was in Arizona. She was extremely hot, like super hot, super young but super like way too hot to be at an A minor four show. (laughs) (laughs) And then she was really nice. And she was like talking to us all night. And then this guy came up and put his arm around her and was like, Hey, what's up? Do you remember me? And basically it was some guy whose band we played with in the nineties. And that was her, that was his daughter. Oh, wow. (laughs) We were like, wow. Okay. And then we met this other girl who was, must've been like 17 or 18 or something. Mm-hmm. And she was telling us that her parents had, her parents had played her a minor forest and she loved it. And she got really into post rock and math rock and stuff. And so it, in this year in, what was it? 2014, she got to see slint bitch magnet and us. And those were like her three dream bands. That's awesome. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's such a weird thing, like three bands that I would never have expected to ever be playing in 2014 for sure. So, but yeah, it was, you know, that was more, I think it was more like old indie rock dudes, you know, kind of like what you might expect, but it was, it was super fun. And we actually, it was good enough where we talked about, you know, we talked about making another record. uh, Ah, I'm I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) At least exploring it. But, um, there's some like non-musical stuff that's been hot. Like Eric has been dealing with a lot of like family stuff and like sickness. And he's sort of in like a really complicated situation. That's made it even doing that tour was really hard for him. So, uh, and obviously John and I can't get any shit done when it's just me and him. So, <laughs> um, we're s- well, you can go get Chinese food. So you got just, that going for you. Yeah, exactly. And see, you know, and see the next fast and furious, but, yeah. Priorities, man. Um, it's, it's all sort of like if Eric comes to us and he's like, Hey, my shit got figured out and this sounds fun. We'd probably do it. You know, I'm, I'm really like, I still, I still do a lot with common Eider and I have a new band that I'm kind of putting all my energy into and I'm pretty happy with that stuff. And I'm also with this quarantine, I've decided it's finally time to not just be a drummer. So I'm trying to learn Ableton and I'm trying to like, learn my way around a bunch of synths that I've gotten. And so I'm just trying to be like, I don't know. My new band is all synths too. So I'm trying to like do more in that band. So, but yeah, uh, we'll see if Eric ever gets his, gets his stuff together. Yeah. I mean the, 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 my heart inverted flame stuff, despite having a very difficult to remember name. Uh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> super cool. Uh, it's, it's, I, it's definitely, the name wasn't, French before, by the way, we decided being French was too pretentious, so we changed it back to English. <laughs> that well, makes me feel better. No, no, it, it, it's and it's very, it's very vibey. It's, it's it kind of reminds me actually a little bit of the, um, of the talking book stuff that uh, Bill Gould just did, who uh, I, I just had on, and, and the way that it's like it's good having on and like kind of being contemplative, but also sort of doing stuff as well. Uh, kind of, kind of music. At least for me, it is. I don't know. Other people. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not talking about like you know, 
lifting weights or something. I'm talking about, you know, mundane activities. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's definitely designed to be like, like the stuff we had in mind was like, you know, that, um, that Tony Conrad and Faust record. Oh, oh where it's God. just like, yeah. Okay. Just like, so it, in my head, I was like, I was like, okay, it's like a doom metal version of Tony Conrad and Faust or like a doom version of the next where it's like very repetitive and atmospheric. And, you know, I sent it to a lot of people and they were like, oh yeah, you're not really, the drumming's not super mathy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've, I don't, it doesn't always have to be. Yeah, math, I know math-y, how to play other you know? things as it turns out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, and that's been really fun. Like it's just two of us and it's just synths and drums and, I think I've definitely, I don't know how you feel about band stuff, but I, you know, for, for a long time, Common Eider was five people. Yeah. Like George Chen was playing with you for a while. Uh, if I remember. Yeah. I I took George, I took his place in Common Eider. Oh, okay. Yeah. Five people is a lot of people. Yeah. And then when we got down to two people, we were like, wow, this is so much easier and it still sounds great. But like decisions and touring and money and everything is so much easier with two people. And so then when Mark and I started my heart and inverted flame, we're like, yeah, let's do two people. This is great. <laughs> two, duo is the way to go. Definitely. The, the less schedules you have, the easier it is to, to do stuff. And that, 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 can, that can be a, a nice thing for sure. Well, and even arguing when, when we used to argue in a minor forest, like, Eric and I would always be on opposite sides and then John wouldn't care and wouldn't make, wouldn't be the decider. He'd just be like, it's cool either way guys. And I'm like, ah, I think you both have some very good be, points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be Switzerland. <laughs> this, this, this is going to be a, a, a wild shift, but I definitely want, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, that live boredoms record that you, that you were oh, a part yeah. of with like the was like 70, 74, 75 drummers or something along those lines. I can't remember. Well, we did it. We did it twice. We did it once in 2007 in New York when it was 77 drummers. And then we did it the next year in LA at the La Brea Tar Pits when it was 88 drummers. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of drummers. Uh, and they still, you know, they still do that. It's called Boa drum and the boredom still do it. They, um, they apparently did one on a boat in the middle of the ocean during a full lunar eclipse, which I did not get invited to, but sounded rad. But yeah, those were really fun. Those were like, um, the first one was a lot of, like a lot of Bay area people that I'm sure you know. And like, you know, Brian from lightning bolt and like basically every, almost every indie, indie rock drummer you can think of. And Andy WK was, was doing it too. If I remember correctly. Well, that's funny. I was just going to say, I was sitting between the drummer from MDC and Andrew WK and I didn't, I didn't even recognize him because he had short hair and he was dressed like a golf pro. He had like, like, like a a little hat on and like a collared shirt and these weird little like uh, plaid shorts. And I think he was, I think he was doing some sort of bit and he was a terrible drummer too. But, uh, don't mince words boy (laughs) no maybe he wasn't a terrible drummer but maybe there were a lot of drummers people who were invited to do it just because they wanted to do it and they weren't necessarily drummers um but he was super nice and i was like i had to ask i was like are you andrew wk and he's like oh yeah hey fun he was really nice and it was really fun it was like for that for the new york one like thousands of people showed up and the whole we could see the bridge and there were like people like 
thousands of people on the bridge and it was right at sunset. It was really beautiful. And it was really, um, I mean, I, I don't think any of us did it with the idea that it would be recorded. I, we, I think we found out later, but just the, the actual, like doing it with playing with that many drummers and doing these huge, like sweeping sort of sounds was really fun. And in fact, the guy who, one of the guys, the guy, do you know, um, um, uh, his, do you know Hisham from Black Dice? Oh, uh, yeah, friend of a friend, yeah. So he's kind of like the, the unofficial fifth member of the Boredoms, and he's the one who sort of organized both those, or actually helped organize all the Bodrum performances. And a few months ago, he actually organized this thing in Napa where um, this famous sculptor built this huge set of chimes out in the woods. And then uh, he got like 20 Bay Area drummers to go do this performance and play on the chimes. Oh, wow. Um, and it was sort of like it was sort of like a Boa Drum Jr. It was like me and uh, Warren, Warren Hagel, who you probably know, and a, a bunch and a, anyway, a bunch of Bay Area drummers. And then it was, it was really cool. But it was definitely very similar, like the sort of composing this really simple, repetitive thing on this big big metal sculpture it was cool but yeah those were like two those those two bow drum things were like two of my favorite things i've ever done in my whole life like they were so interesting and unique like yeah yeah i feel like those kinds of things when you get asked to do them it's like ghostbusters rules apply like if someone asks you if you're a god you say yes that you just <laughs> <laughs> like hell yeah i'm in i'll figure it out <laughs> i mean i was i was pretty nervous there were like some like like, just like being on this show, I was pretty nervous because there were a lot of like heavy hitters, heavy hitters up in there. So, well, again, I, I, you are a pretty <laughs> heavy hitter yourself, my friend. So I would not uh... <laughs> just just to be but yeah, clear. But everyone, everyone was so nice and it was just like it was such a good vibe. And yeah, it was fun. I so, would, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and, and it seems like something that was sort of designed to be a like an event, like a thing, an experience, right? Uh, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was fascinating to listen to, but at, the whole time I've, you know, when I had listened to it, I'd be like, I bet this was super cool to see. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how the recording, cause a lot of it was like spatial. Yeah. So unless you're, unless you're listening to it in like surround sound, surround sound. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like the drum, the drums were set up in a spiral. So a lot of the parts were like, drummer one starts it drummer two starts it drummer three starts it and the sound would like move around the spiral so it was kind of cool spatially um and visually too there's like standing up and like these sort of like just see you know it's like almost like watching like a weird experimental punk rock marching band you know like with all the cymbal swells and like standing up and um and the boredoms were on this weird like pedestal in the middle um but that first one was totally like you were like a hundred percent right. It was sponsored by vice and, uh, <laughs> and converse. Yeah. Every, and every, and every drummer who played got a free pair of converse sneakers. It was very, it was very heavily promoted and heavily sponsored. The first one was, I think the one in LA was just like, everyone had such a good time at the, at the New York one that, and people liked it so much that they did it again. Um, and like, like I said, they continue to do it, but with smaller, smaller ensembles. Well, and it, it, right. Yeah. But the, as far as the 
original conceit of it is it almost reminded me of you know before they were sort of at least in my book off the artistic roll call some of the weirder stuff that the flamey lips would used to do you know around like zyrica and things like that where it's it's you couldn't just throw it on and get the same experience as you know having it like kind of arc around you and <laughs> like do this crazy thing that the whole point of it was to to create this experiential thing and uh, i mean yeah. I, I just thought it was cool that it happened period like i you know wasn't at any of them but uh, well i think if you if you know the boredoms it kind of makes sense like they they made this very dramatic shift from like being like a super caustic like japanese kind of yeah like destructive rock band to this weird like blissed out hippie cult tribal drum circle thing that they do and that's kind of it kind of really fit into that shift to this just sort of repetitive blissed out kind of dreamy percussive thing um and you know 88 uh, 77 and 88 are both lucky numbers in japan and so there's a lot of like symbolism involved in picking those two those two numbers and having the spiral was also significant so um but yeah i'm, I'm glad stuff like that happens i love i wish I wish it was easier to do like large form group things like that. You know, like uh, I didn't get to do it here, but they did. Um, what's his name? Um, what's the good, what's the guy with all the guitar? <laughs> so terrible. I can't remember that. Glenn Bronca. Uh, Glenn yeah. Bronca. Yeah. They did one, one out here with like 400 guitar players. And I was like, Oh, I'm probably okay enough guitar player to <laughs> do that. Yeah. I, I can play a droning C note that goes into C sharp. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened with the boredom thing is people were like, Oh, I'm probably a good enough drummer to just go bum, 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 bum. Yeah. But yeah, I love that stuff. I think that's really, I had this. So here's my, here's my, somebody shouldn't steal this, but I have this, I had this super awesome idea for like a, uh, sort of a modern classical black metal piece mm-hmm. where you had like five or six black metal bands, each playing like a furious blast in a specific note and then you're just composing between these different sort of droning and be like this weird sort oh, of whoa. like spatial sun thing, but you'd be shifting from like C to a sharp to, and like each band would just be playing as fast and furious a blast and a buzz as they could. I don't know. That seemed a little bit ambitious to try to make happen, but I always, I always think about that. Wow. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm so, trying to even envision what that would, what that would be like. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds like a, and then like layering them. Bold idea. Yeah, one of the one of the actually we did an A minor four show at the um, at the Chameleon where we had um, guitarists. We gave out all these guitars that were tuned to E, and all these people in the audience could play guitar, and they were plugged into amps in all four corners of the club. <laughs> so during these parts, like everyone in the crowd was like playing these like weird swells in E. It was cool. What when was this? This was an A, a minor four tour. No, this is at the Chameleon. It was at like oh. ninety-five or something. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Huh. That that does yeah. sound fascinating. That was fun. Oh, I, I, you know, you just mentioning that reminded me that John, <laughs> when you guys played with Shellac and Bimbos, do you remember that? Uh, yeah. I was, I think, a month and a half away from turning twenty-one. And uh, John Trevor Benson snuck me into the show, which I thought was a really good promo of him. Oh. <laughs> that's super nice. Good dude, good dude, man. That, that's I was I was very happy because I kind of 
in, in that way that only a young person can do. I just was like, I'm just going to show up at this and figure out a way to get in. <laughs> it's funny that um, the reunion show at Bottom of the Hill was 21 and up, and this girl from Seattle emailed me and was like, she was probably like 18 or something, and she was like, I've always wanted to see your band. You're, you're like my favorite band. And so I was like, I emailed Ramona, and I was like, please make this all ages because for this one girl and, and then they did. Yeah. Cause I also thought that, Oh, maybe these people will probably want to bring some people want to bring their kids too. So, but yeah. Well, especially when you get into situations where, you know, yeah, the OG fans have kids of their own, you know, and that, that those kids might be cool yeah. also. And that, that's, exactly. a, that, that's a nice thing to be able to service. Hey, I, before I, before I forget, I wanted to bring up, uh, that temper that band that was on temporary residence you yeah, have a jeff rosenberg uh lumen uh, yeah with with the um like one of the longest album titles i've ever known in my, entire, in my entire life it's like a paragraph long <laughs> yeah it's a it's a line from a italo calvino short story talk about pretentious yeah i was gonna i was gonna say of course it is yeah uh the <laughs> but like tell, tell me about that band because i feel like that's kind of like I remember that band because I was like 2001 and I was very very clued in, but it kind of seems like it was it was like a here and gone kind of situation. Yeah, I actually I went back and listened to that, and I was pretty I was pretty into it. It was sort of Jeff. So it was Jeff Rosenberg who was in Pink and Brown with John Dwyer. Yep, and was in uh, he was also in uh, Tarantel, and we had this idea of like doing like a like a like a like a, a Don Caballero kind of super heavy, chaotic math rock thing, except it would be like super punishing loud drums and then an acoustic guitar and nothing else. Um, and it sounded really great. And then he just sort of enlisted two of his, either his housemates or just friends of his. So it was just accordion, accordion, upright bass, acoustic guitar, and then me playing drums. So like the conceit was like, Oh, it's like this weird chamber music, but with like drums that are just loud and punishing. Um, yeah, I love I love that band. We I think that that just Jeff Jeff moved away. Everybody moved away. It didn't get a ton of love when it came out. We did a tour. We did a tour that was fun. We played with Lightning Bolt and a bunch of like similar bands. Um, but yeah, it just sort of petered out. Um, I don't know. I'm really proud. I'm actually. I'm strangely maybe I'm proud of a lot of things I did, but I love that record and I'm really proud of it. And I wish more people heard it. Cause I think it's really interesting. It's a cool record. I actually um, listened to it like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I, was, oh, I forgot all about this. This is just kind of like in the archive, you know, and in, in that way that sometimes yeah. you'll pull something out and be like, and that band was really, that band was really fun live too. Cause it was like seeing these like really delicate acoustic instruments kind of competing with my drumming was like, was, I thought was really an interesting dynamic, but yeah, you know, yeah, they, it exists. They don't all land the way we necessarily want them to land, I guess. No, it's my fault for giving it that stupid title. That's what you're. That's what you're getting at. <laughs> I was implying it. No. <laughs> I can take it. <laughs> so tell me the. Um... All right, so Commoniter, comma Kingiter. Right, yeah. like it started off as a, co- a collective. I, I, am I correct in it, saying that? It, like, you know, with all the, like the five I guess people, it's, it still is technically. 
but like, it's, but it's mostly you, you and know, Rob at this point. It's mainly me and Rob, but he really likes the idea of like anyone we've ever played with or who's ever played with him who wants to be a part of it can be a part of it whenever we want. When we played in Iceland, there were a bunch of Bay Area people there, so we like tailored the whole performance so these people were like some be- like in that instance they weren't actually playing music, they were doing like ritual stuff, but I think Rob is really into the idea of it being like open to anybody creatively Uh, i think the records at this point it's easier for he and i to make them but performing wise like if vicky or george was like oh i'm gonna be in rome when you guys are there we'd be like oh let's figure out a way to do something together that's fun and interesting and creative um i mean it's you know it's at this point it's the two of us but it's you know it's been rob rob decided a long time ago i think when he quit Deerhoof, that he wanted to have a band that was forever like a band that was forever like so it it was it it would be you know it would be unaffected by like band politics and by band fighting and it would be very fluid so people could leave and people could join and he would always have this home for the music he wanted to make and i think he and i just fit and i became part of it right um this this is hitting very close to home by the way (laughs) i'm like oh yeah yeah. uh, sounds familiar yeah okay yeah yeah (laughs) and so yeah that's just like he and i really clicked and we play really well together as a duo but but yeah it's still open to like anyone who wants to be a part of it and in fact there's two new common Ida records that just came out that i don't even play on um simply because uh well they were they were collaborations with friends of ours in europe and label weirdness they were like oh we don't want to put out a new band but we'll put it out if it's called common Eider. and you know i was like oh that's fine it's rob doing it and you know there's he was like yeah if you end up doing some cool recording and i'm not on it that could still be a common Eider record it's you know it's all about like sort of the intention and the spirit of it right. um yeah but i think at, for now the heart of it is he and i we're working we have two three new records coming out over the next year oh we did before the thing happened so which I, which I guess strangely we haven't talked about that much. It's like the first episode in a while that has not been like you know a fifteen minute conversation, but it's fine. We all know what's happening. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just it's for us for for music. I mean, obviously for musicians it's horrible, but like even just you know we I was so you know what's funny is uh, that my heart and inverted flame record George Chen was going to put it out on Zum. Oh yeah, like he reactivated Zum. Zero units moved. Um, <laughs> and now um now like all pressing plants are closed and yeah. it's like basically i feel like it's a wash until 2021 and then even then everything's going to be so backed up it's going to be kind of a nightmare so it's bad timing to start a new band yeah i mean it seems like it's a good time to just create for the sake of creating or at least i would imagine so yeah I... a lot of my um a lot of my friends are doing like uh are doing like sort of band camp style compilations with music created during the quarantine and like with money, with money going to sort of good causes and to, you know, food banks and whatnot. That's a cool idea. We're on, yeah, we're on to, uh, do you know Campbell Neal who he was in uh, Birchfield cat motel and Blackbone angel and stuff. No, he lives in New Zealand. He's doing one. And then my friend, Nathan, who, who, uh, I don't know what band he'd be in, but, Anyway, a lot of uh, I, I, people have been reaching out being like, hey, we want to do these comps that are like all about being like 
isolated and alone and like making music in this new sort of this new normal and uh figuring out ways to help musicians make money too so well that's a nice thing and it's 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 been interesting to see how stuff sort of coalesces to even just help people cope uh let alone like push things forward but it's you know it's been like for me I've, i've found that doing these shows and just doing a bunch of them has been helpful and some people have found some solace and you know something something worthwhile (laughs) to that and it's like well i can do that you know i can't can't go on tour it's interesting (laughs) because one of the conversations i don't see a lot of is like obviously there's the physical toll with all these people dying then there's the economic toll which is like massive but people have more recently been starting up starting to bring up like the mental illness yeah like repercussions just like obviously people who are already struggling with mental illness, but also just this whole like lack of togetherness and lack of touch and lack of personal interaction is definitely going to have like a dramatic effect on people who are like sensitive to that. And I think that's going to be this like third wave that hits when things start like coming to a head. It's, it's yeah. So I think stuff like your, you doing this program and people reaching out to do compilations. I think that, that community is super vital. And what's, what's funny is I know we've all been joking or all of my friends have been joking like, Oh, we're such hermits. We've been preparing this for our whole lives, you know, like, yeah, the Gen X, all the goss. (laughs) But, but a friend of mine pointed out that it definitely feels different. Like choosing to be alone and choosing to be in your house is a lot different than being compelled to stay in your house and not leave your house. Like the, the feeling is different, even if it's not, on its surface any different it definitely has a different energy that is hard to sort of get your head around i think having the choice removed from the situation is yeah yeah i think you're i think you're like, on something because i love being a hermit like my dream is to move into the woods and live in the woods and be away from humans like but somehow that feels different than like the government being like you're, you used to stay in your house and you can't ever leave <laughs> but ultimately I'm doing the same stuff. I'm talking to you. I'm playing music. I'm doing, but it, it just, it just has a definite different energy. Yeah. I mean, the analogy I've been using is just start treating it like you're in a space station, you know, and taking your, you're taking your life in your hands when you go outside, if you don't prepare adequately going yeah. to space and it's a trip, man. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I guess, and I guess that's, you, that's, um, that's my, uh, my wisdom is it's a trip, which is, <laughs> That's as good an assessment as I've heard by, from anyone. So, can you tell I had hippie parents? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how is it where you are? Is it crazy, or is it still kind of like, um, you know, kind of looks a lot like Twenty Eight Days Later, or you know, pick your average zombie movie outside. But there's still, you know, people. There's still people doing stuff. Um, you know, it's it's mostly they. There was a stay at home order that was issued. And, uh, you know, people seem to largely be uh, abiding by it. Uh, if you go, if you have to, you know, go to the grocery store or whatever, you know, people are keeping their distance. You know, some people have masks on, things like that. But uh, it's, it's pretty weird. Uh, you know, it only dawned on me <laughs> earlier this week that it's like, oh, yeah, I can still go outside. I just got to make sure I'm not around people. So I was like, oh, I'll yeah. I'm going to go on a bike ride. Like, I don't know why it didn't occur to me that I, I could do that, but 
no, I can be pretty and you know what? It makes such a huge it makes such a huge difference because like when I'm in the house, I'm like, even though I, I love being home, I like feel this weird weight and pressure. And when I go walk yeah. around the park or walk around the woods, you're like, oh, you know what? The world's gonna go on with yeah. or without us. Exactly. You know, gives you pers- and, perspective. And being out- <laughs> Oh, totally. Like, it's like, it definitely, like, inside the sky is falling, but outside the sky is not falling. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is actually, you know, I don't know. My, my takeaway from all this was that, like, I was in the park, in Golden Gate Park the other day, and there were, in the morning, and there were so many birds, like, a shocking amount of birds, like, almost to the point where I was getting kind of nervous and scared. <laughs> and then, and, you know, they've been seeing, like, coyotes running around neighborhoods and stuff. And I was like, you know what? This is just, and there's there's less there's less pollution there's less, I'm like yeah. you know what you know who, it's sad but like I think humans humans are the virus yeah, humans I mean, are the real virus you know <laughs> exactly it's like we we are now at the the lesson point of every disaster movie is it oh yeah exactly turns out turns out we were the have virus you read um, have you read that book the world without us no you it's, should check it out it's this book it's this book where the scientist posits like what would happen after humanity died out to like what would happen to our infrastructure and what would happen to like species. And it's all about like, like what would happen to New York city? What would happen to the buildings? What would like, which animals would come back, which wouldn't and how would the polar polar ice cap change and how would like sea levels change? It's really interesting. And even now this early into this weird event, I'm seeing these little glimmers of what he wrote about in that book, just of like what, like what a beautiful, world this could be without us fucking it up (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah well that's a yeah on that note (laughs) on that note yeah there there is one thing andy that i I always ask folks uh, on the show and near the end of i don't i generally tend to stay away from canned questions but i think it's an interesting one and it's pretty simple it's just uh why do you do what you do oh I don't know any other way to be. I don't think I get a lot of, I get a lot of joy from, you know, the reason I, the reason a minor forest broke up is because we weren't, it wasn't fun anymore. And like music was not making me happy. And music is so important to me that I never wanted to get to a point where I didn't simply get joy from music like that that was like critical for my sort of mental well-being. And even at Aquarius, there were times where I'm like, at some point, like the business of music is going to become overwhelming. And if that happens, I will quit instantly because I never want to lose my sort of like unfettered, like wide eyed love of music and discovery and all that stuff. And I think I've been really lucky, even at my new job, like a big part of my new job is helping independent artists do what they do and being at this huge corporation and having that be my job is really lucky. And I just, so I guess I just do, I just love beauty, I guess. Like I love the beauty of music. I love the beauty of art. I love the beauty of sound. I like making it and I like sharing it and I like being exposed to other people's souls through their, through their art. And I think, I don't think I know any other way to live. That makes sense. Is that a good answer? It definitely does. It's a fantastic answer. 
thanks <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show man it's been it's been a pleasure dude we, we were like long overdue for a proper conversation anyway we have, show or not so it's, it's you're out you're 100 percent right so uh it's it's awesome that we we got to do it in this format and uh really yeah. really appreciate it i think we got into some cool stuff and stay safe man stay safe yeah you too and uh let's keep in touch uh we should uh we should talk more often sounds good brother all right all right take care andy talk to you later bye thanks ah oh, there he goes mr andy connors love that dude is this good guy on? talented man uh Yeah, so Can you hear me now? Andy does a lot of stuff. <laughs> if you want to find it, uh Christ. Could be all day naming various enterprises that he's part of. Uh he's on Instagram, uh MB Are we going M B I B E N D U M. Is this thing on? I don't know what that is. Uh is on Facebook, isn't all the normal things that uh He's on Discogs. You can find out most things Andy Connors. If you look into it. Uh, Prolific dude. Talented guy. Really, uh, just, just, yeah. I like that guy. Anyway, whatever. Don't matter. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. It airs on RadioNope.com. Usually Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. It's uh, readingneutron.com for the archives. If you like the show and you like the episodes and you want to get them sooner, readingneutron.com. Slash Protonic Reversal. 50,000 watts of power. This show's always on Radio Note. I wanna ionize the air. If you like it, share it around. Let people know. Uh, rate and review. All that good stuff. This microphone turns sound into electricity. A lot more awesome stuff coming up. Stay tuned. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, it's dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? broadcasting if there's no one there to receive it's the end of radio as we come to the close of our broadcast day Can you hear me now? 